this month's Little Rock Games Game of the Month podcast. And we're here this month to talk about a game that we played over the course of March. And that game is Anodyne by Anal GC Productions, um, which is a Zelda-like RPG that's really interesting for a lot of different ways. Um, and we're ready to talk about it. So I'm Olivia. I'm Robbie. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Tanner. All right, and we're here to talk about Anodyne. And also, I wanted to mention our uh, Patreon poll for this month was um, sort of a way to get us to focus our discussion a little bit, which is something we typically (laughs) help with. Um, And the winner on the poll was to focus on classic adventure games in general and their influence on modern games, whether they are emulations of those games and just the nostalgia factor, that sort of stuff, so... While we're talking about it, keep that in mind. Yeah, this is Um, perfect for Anodyne. Yeah, so uh, who wants to get started? Robbie does. Go, Robbie. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening was the first game that I ever beat, and I beat it like eight times. This game was uh, great to play. It was very nostalgic, and it made me very happy. Yeah, I was actually really curious about that, because I have never played a Zelda game in my life. So the nostalgia factor is totally lost on me. Same. So I really wanted, I was really hoping that at least somebody had played yeah. specifically Link's Awakening, but also other older games. Well, Tanner, I think from what I know, I played A Link to the Past on the SNES, mm-hmm. and I think um, they started working on Link's Awakening um, using the same base as Link to the Past, but then just changed the story and the setting a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, probably more than a little bit, but <laughs> I've heard that they're very similar, so... Uh, that was the one I played growing up, and this did remind me of that a lot, uh, especially the lake area was reminiscent of where you start in Hyrule. So, cool. Well, first, I guess we need to talk a little bit more in detail about the game. Um, so, and spoilers ahead, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in this game, it's a like like was mentioned, it's a very Zelda light game. Visually, it's really similar. Um, it also plays really similar from what I, I guess. I guess I would say it's a very Zelda-like game for everything before Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So really, it's it's like Retro the first third Zelda of games. Zelda games. Yeah. Cool. Um, but in it, you're playing a character named Young, and you're exploring this weird dream world filled with all kinds of strange encounters and strange monsters. The very beginning, you're told that you're supposed to save the briar from the darkness with no indication of what that is or what it means. Which we'll get into in a little bit because I know that all that was very intentional because it's a game about MacGuffins and it's a game about games. Um, but yeah, and that's really the gist of it is it's it's got a really interesting art style. The pixel art was really, like some I feel like some parts of the game were better than others in terms of a, like visual quality, but overall it was a really pretty looking game. Um, and and yeah, so that's what Anodyne is. So any other introductory? A quick question about that. Um, do you feel like the art got better the farther you went, as if it were being built on design skill as you went to higher levels? No, I don't think okay. so. Just, I was curious about that because I saw some of them. Yeah, some of the same stuff. I mean, they definitely played with the quality of the art. I think probably not in a linear way, okay. but... I mean, just the different sections I went through, there were some that I really wasn't a fan of, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that was on purpose, usually. Um, Are you talking about the 8-bit level? The 8-bit maze that was, like, neon yellow, and <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> but uh, 
There were other parts of it that I really enjoyed. Like the cliffs were really nice. The cliffs were uh, great. That was a nice section. There's also a, like a prominent like top third of the map in Link's Awakening that was all cliffs. Yeah. So when I found that, I was like, oh my god, this is... Yeah, I definitely feel like that stuff is like direct nods to mm -hmm. the game itself. Like it definitely does not hide its influences at all. Like it even has the phrase Zelda like in the Steam description. Mm -hmm. So like they're definitely hinging on people like latching onto that and having that at least be a hook to play the game. Um, what else? What did you guys think about the story and what what you're able to gather from it. I guess we can start talking about that unless we want to talk about mechanics first. So I think that's the part that sort of directly links it to Link's Awakening. And it, I might be biased because I've played Link's Awakening or rather, I've beat Link's Awakening <laughs> eight times. <laughs> um, How many times again? I didn't catch that. No, it, it might be more or less. I don't actually know. It's a, more than exactly. five, less than ten. Um, uh, so the in in Link's Awakening, it's like within the first five minutes they tell you like you are in a dream, so you're trapped in the dream of the, the windfish, and so everything that's happening to you is just in this dream. And when you win, when you like when you rescue the windfish, the dream will like go away, and you'll go back to the real world. Link so, awakens. Right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so the fact that this game also took place in like a dream was kind of cool. And there's a lot of surreal things in Link's Awakening as well. Um, but this game really took that like a step further. In Link's Awakening, it was sort of more of an excuse. Um, yes, they had the, the Link to the Past engine, but they also like, it was a hobby, or it was like a side project they were working on. So they would just bring in um, like a Mario sprite or they would bring in a Yoshi sprite or whatever just because and that was their excuse like well it's a dream so there's all kinds of crazy stuff in here and that was sort of the extent of it but in this game people speak the way sometimes people would speak in dreams I guess and like like the landscape changes so drastically it's not really mm -hmm. um, uh, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but I I almost didn't like I liked the the changing scenery, but the story I didn't really like it because the story seemed to follow dream logic, which turns out for me to not really be pleasant to interact with. Sort of like if someone were telling you about their dream mm -hmm. for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really interesting because yeah, I felt the same way too because I I heard a lot of people talk about Anodyne as this really interesting, really introspective game. And I understood that, like, from the first couple of conversations, I realized that it's not about what it seems like it's about, right? Because there's this sage character who's, like, telling you what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to go on this adventure. But immediately, if you talk to the figure next to him, they're just like, what's up with this guy? <laughs> like, you know, so it's totally self-aware the whole time. And, and there kept being points when I kept forgetting what I was doing. Yeah. Um, like, what, what my overall goal was, other than get the MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. um, which is the best way I can describe the the literal plot of what you're doing. They're just like, do the thing. Mm -hmm. But after actually playing through the whole game and like seeing the ending and the way that sort of the themes come together, I think that you're all of those things that you feel when being confused about the narrative is intentional. Because um, I think it's a very it's a very personal game. Like it, it feels like a very personal game that wasn't made for me. Does that make sense? Like, it feels like maybe it's very, like, semi-autobiographical. 
or whatever, but it seems like it was drawing a lot on um, individual experiences that were abstracted out in this really interesting way. Would you say it was a game made for someone who's beaten Zelda eight times? <laughs> I don't know, Robbie. Give or take. No. <laughs> no. I, well, I mean, maybe. Maybe if someone, if someone who used to be obsessive about video games and then continued to be obsessive about video games and then managed to beat this game, then maybe. But the difficulty in this game was way, like, way different from uh, Link's Awakening. How so? Because I, I haven't played so, Link's Awakening. I'm, I'm like Olivia. Specifically the, the platforming parts. And I think that's that's a complaint that comes up online a lot. Mm -hmm. But in like in, in Link's Awakening, the jumping was just a way to sort of gate parts of the map. Like mm. to not let you get to a certain place until you've unlocked uh. jumping. But, uh, and, and I mean, there, there were a few parts, like there's certain bosses that you can't beat unless you could jump over their attacks. Um, and that, but that's really it. Um, and there's like a few puzzles, but it's not, it's, it's aware that it is not a platform game. And so there's a few puzzles that you, maybe you'd have to solve by passing something and jumping at the right moment, but it's, it's pretty minimal and it's pretty forgiving. And in this game, just the sheer amount of times where there's just like, you know, eight different bullets flying on the screen and you have to like jump over them and mm -hmm. time things like that hardly ever happened. And oh, okay. Zelda's more of like a thinking sort of right. sort of thing. And if there's timing, it's pretty reasonable time. Or in I'm not to say that this game's unreasonable, but compared to what I was expecting, mm. it's way, way different. Yeah. Interestingly though, I mean so I didn't get to the end. I got to the hotel. That was the last level I played. Um and it was actually my favorite level. Um, I think the hotel is one of the better designed yeah. puzzles. But I actually, despite what you're describing, um, I actually found the bosses really easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like ridiculous. Like, so there were, there were like invulnerability holes mm -hmm. in the middle. In every of, single in, Yeah, and you're just yeah. like, well, I just stand here and wait till you've done your pass. And, and then I just hit, yeah, hit you a bunch of times. And then I just stand here again. Yeah. And. I don't know that if I, I can ever remember playing any other game that had such obvious like flaws in the in the general mechanics of a boss so that and, and like every boss, like you're just like, okay. And and again, that may be a sort of intentional mm -hmm. flaw, but then when you when you put that against some of the like I one of the last rooms I was in was like a steam room where there were like steam vents. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I I just was getting pulverized by yeah. them. Like like I and the worst part was, and I almost looked up online, but then I ran out of time. So you get through to the end of the steam room, and then it turns out that it's at a dead end. And then the only way out of the dead end is to go back, back through the steam, the steam room, room, but it's even harder to get back through it than the first time. Anyway, I was... It was yeah. bizarre that those, the, yeah. like, there was one random room that was, like, ten times as frustrating mm -hmm. as any of all the bosses put together. Right. It's a really strange I and felt, interesting, I guess, choice. Mm -hmm. I felt like the bosses were more, like, like mini-bosses. Like, it was, it was like, yeah. okay, this is wet my appetite for, like, the real yeah. boss, but then you get the key, and it's like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> Cause then, cause that was it. <laughs> even the final boss of the game, like, was hard to figure out, and at first it's like, oh my gosh, this is insanely difficult. 
Um, unless you have a controller, that made it a lot easier. But then once I figured out the gimmick, it took me a couple more tries. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, it was just a matter of figuring out the gimmicks. And you're right, of most of the bosses I was able to be either just by brute forcing it, as in just like sitting there and not even trying to dodge the attacks yeah. and just hitting it enough times, because I had so much more health. Yeah. Or standing in a specific spot. But I, I don't know that the bosses are meant to be the most challenging, interesting part of the game. I thought the puzzle design was really good, and I feel like that's where it shined. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of the bosses were just like, all right, we need, should probably have a boss in a game like this, so let's figure mm -hmm. out how I'm going to put a boss here. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that that uh, you can do to help with getting sort of the end of the, the tunnels, so to speak, and trying to go back, you can just return to the entrance of the level, yeah, which isn't always ideal, because yeah. um, sometimes you were, you know, where you're working from is not next to the entrance. Uh, but that I use that pretty often when yeah. I would get to the end of that. I'm like, I don't want to go back through just all kill of that yourself. stuff. Yeah, pretty much. That was an interesting bit too, right? So saving, saving, and these are just sort of technical and mechanical issues. But so you you had to save at save points, but it actually recorded anything you collected, mm -hmm. irrespective of the save point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So which is just again, it's an interesting choice to have a save point, but. Then, like everything, essentially everything you do mm -hmm. after the save point is is stored. Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's I mean, more. It's less a save point and more. I want to respawn here. Yeah, so yeah. And it, it does keep track of your deaths. Like at the pause menu, it's yeah. like I think last time I checked, I died forty two times. So like <laughs> uh, I, I died forty two times in the Steam. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is a huge quality of life improvement over uh, Link's Awakening, um, where you you can't. If you if you save the game, you you have to save and quit. Um, there's like there's, uh, and then if you die, you end up at the start of the of the dungeon that you were in. Oh boy! Like so, it was massively frustrating. Uh, and also, if you save and quit, you don't re you don't restart there. You restart at the beginning of the dungeon. I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I was a little older. Then the, the when when those games came out, it was a little kind of too old to, for those. Not too old, but that wasn't what I was interested in when those came out. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I'm familiar with them enough because I was around all of those. But I think that that frustration, the first few times I played it, I was like, I'm not going to keep doing this. Yeah. I, I like it's. I'm going to go play something else. Mm. Or. I, I do think band. that Anodyne was pretty forgiving in regards to that. Because like, oh, if yeah. you fall off a ledge, yeah. you don't lose health. No. You yeah, just yeah. I know. And it doesn't count as a death either. No. The only time it counts as a death is if your health runs out. And yeah. you and you get so many health upgrades. All, like, yeah. By the time like you find all the health upgrades, it's like, 16, what even right? is? That was actually surprising very early on in the game. Because my memories of things yeah. like the old, older Zeldas... Where you in the first Zelda, you just had three healths, right? You could get more. I think you got you got a little more. Yeah. But you started with three. Right? Yeah, you definitely started with yeah, you definitely started with way more health. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically six yep. six hits. Yeah. That was extremely frustrating. And it seemed like a really long time before you got your second or your, and your it was fourth health. Yeah. Right. Uh, in this, they were just giving out like crazy. Every time you like, beat yeah. a boss. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. The yeah. enemies didn't feel as threatening in this as they were in Link's Awakening. Yeah. It was really easy to run past some of them. Yeah, or even just like that just damn kill, dog. kill them. The yeah. dogs, Tanner, the dog, was so yeah, bad like the, the hardest dogs. enemy. Yeah, the, do the dog is By the hardest. A a Fire-breathing lion, Absolutely. whatever. <laughs> yeah. The, the dogs, and then actually there were some specifically placed, I mean, so more was done with sort of placement of enemies. Mm -hmm. So 
one I remember quite clearly was uh, there were sort of double frogs on the other side of a chasm. Uh-huh. I remember so you're that just like getting exactly. freaking slammed uh-huh. by them while you're trying to get across so you can get close enough. But if you get close enough, then they be- like force you back into the chasm. So then you're restarting. So there was there were several places where I felt like some of that placement was used as a way to to try to emphasize their skills. But but that was only a, maybe half a dozen locations. So yeah, yeah. and and even that feels more like. Like the environment is what's dangerous in this mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. and and like so, those creatures like by themselves they're not really that dangerous. They're only dangerous because of yes, where they are. Exactly. And that was that was sort of a very interesting choice, but and I I think I liked it. Yeah. Um, but it was it was just it was frustrating. That was kind of what they were going for. It, yeah. It feels like a, a Zelda game designed, you know, in like a pre darks or a post doc Dark Souls. Yeah, it was sort of uneven, too. I mean, that's another thing. Like, somebody was talking about, you were talking about the art style changing. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that this, and I don't know enough about analgesic to know the design process, but it definitely felt to me like like some things really hit the mark and other things, and, and that was partly just design unevenness, right? Like, so the lake was sort of pretty, but I actually found it pretty, like, after about a half an hour of getting lost in things that didn't connect i was like eh. where's the hotel which was by far my favorite level it felt to me like it, the design of it was really thoughtful and mm-hmm. i felt like oh. things were connected in ways that i found really enjoyable um, actually really i really enjoyed pretty much everywhere did you that i went yeah um the i i appreciated that there was always there there were not always but there were frequently ways to sort of turn on a gate that made it so that you could circumvent a bunch of stuff. So yeah. you didn't always have to keep retreading. Yeah, that yeah. plus being yeah. able to return to the beginning of a dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the frequent like hub world. Yeah. The hub world thing. Those are great. So great. Yeah. And um, bouncing out of them. The other thing though was partly like the, it really came alive for me when I figured out the dust collecting boat yeah. I had drowned yeah. so many times yeah. trying to get to those stupid freaking lily pads. Yeah. And I'm just like, I know I can get there. I know I can get there. How else could I get there? Yeah. And then I'm like, wait a minute. It's it's interesting because to me, so uh, the Pokemon player in me was like, oh, I gotta learn surf. I gotta learn <laughs> a surf move before I can come back and cross the ocean. Yeah. So I completely ignored it and then I came back and I was like, there's gotta be something I can yeah. do. Yep. And eventually I figured it out on accident, on complete accident. Me too, accident. totally by accident. Um, and same thing, I kept seeing these rocks in the path and being like, oh, I've gotta learn rock smash before I can get past. <laughs> like I kept being, feeling those moments of, oh, there's probably a way for me to get past yeah. here. And some of them mm-hmm. you don't ever, yeah. but uh, a lot of them you but do. Like the spikes you, you can jump over. Can you get past the rocks? Uh, you can. Post game, oh. you get uh, so it does this really interesting thing towards the end of the game that it it literally just lets you break the game. Um, it gives you a tile swapper, so you can swap any two uh, tiles on the map, cool, and get basically anywhere you want. Wow. Um, and there, there's that's actually pretty, a whole bunch kind of, of hidden stuff to get yeah. to you there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. So. Or you're about to say something, or am I crazy? No, am no, I, crazy? I, I, you're not crazy. Uh, I was, I was gonna loop back to. I don't think it's a game that that wants to be difficult. I mean, in, in just lots of ways. Like they're really generous with with health and uh, the saving and like progressing 
Um, and even down to the fact that your your weapon of choice is a broom, um, and you seem to stop fireballs with piles of dust. Uh, so everything that that feeds into that uh, really makes me feel like um, that it, it's not trying to be hard, and that um, spikes in difficulty probably aren't intentional for the most part. Uh, because I did have some rooms that were really. Uh, challenging or frustrating when yeah. I felt like they shouldn't have been. But part of me, though, but feels like it was... I, I felt like it was a good balance of this puzzle's a breeze, this puzzle's a breeze, this one I have to think about for a minute, this puzzle's a breeze, this puzzle's a breeze. You know, I felt so, like there was a but, decent balance. Yeah. There's a distinction that would have been though. different for different people, though. Like Maybe. Um, some of them, like you said, with the, the floating on the dust in the water, I don't know why, but I just... I did that right off the bat. And yeah, it's so interesting that... Something that you might think was a breeze, and vice versa. I thought the floating on the the dust was a breeze. And you guys talked about how long it took you to figure yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this this all, all of our five different mm-hmm. uh, experiences of it are uh, breeze versus not breeze. Well, and that's also interesting because it's also really you can. There's two halves to the game, but within those halves, you can explore things in whatever order you want. And really, your only guidance is go explore and find something to do. So because I couldn't figure out the water thing, there's a certain area I did first and mm. certain area I did second. And so that really, that was interesting. But there was definitely multiple paths to learning the same things. Mm. I wondered about that uh, because I obviously only took one path. I, I wondered how uh, linear, linearly directed it was, like how many different ways you could go about getting to the same place in a different order. It was interesting because I, when I was playing it, I felt like it was pretty linear. Like I felt like it was directing me to a certain place, yeah. but I f- don't think it was mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. I think from from the lake, you could go south or east. Yeah, yeah. I don't the, think the you could either way. Or you can go west. Yeah. You can go straight to the beach because the first thing I did was go. That's to the where beach. I was. actually I did go to the beach yeah. for a little yeah. bit, and, and then, then I the turned red. around. But if I push the fisherman in the water, you can go to the red. The red dungeon, mm. yeah. Yeah, and that's where I ended up because I couldn't get past. That's where I went. And I totally, Same. I mean, this was another thing. Part of this is conventions, right? So I've played, other than this game, I've never really played a game of this style. Um, and I was actually expecting to not enjoy myself, but I enjoyed quite a bit of it in ways that were really kind of fun. And um, But the... There were some conventions about how you know that something's a wall or not a wall mm. that I clearly was missing because I I missed yeah. how to get to the I think what's called the green forest maybe which is the, the is the easterly the jungle. Yeah. Okay, so apparently the path to that was open for a long time. I just didn't notice that there was a way to move past that end of the screen. And so I, oh, yeah. I literally was like on YouTube going, how'd that, how do you, and I like, I'm like, oh, oh. And then I went back and I was like, oh, that's just a Damn. new let. And that happened to me a ton. Yeah, I think I had to do a very similar thing in the, one of the very early, early forests outside of the temple caves. Um, there were these places where two blocks would be uh, uh, diagonal to each other. And it looked like you could go through. And then there was another one that you could go through, but I was yeah. expecting that I couldn't because of that. And so that thing. slowed me down a bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I relied a lot on the mini-map telling me where the entrances and exits mm-hmm. were. I would yeah. look and see, oh, this says that there's an exit yeah. on the right side, so I'm going to scan the edge and mm-hmm. see if there's somewhere yeah. maybe I can get to. Mm-hmm. I did that a lot. And I think part of that's because what you're experiencing, Brad, was that the sprites are, like, 
designed on twos in the tile system, so the player can move on ones. Um, and it's not always apparent. And when I first noticed that was uh, one of the jumping puzzles. Oh. I had to be on the the leftmost part of a door to make it jump because huh. um, it was sort of a diagonal jump. Um, so I think with the bushes, there was yeah. uh, a little bit of skew there. So it yeah. looks really similar in size. But yeah. Sometimes you can go through and sometimes you can't. Yeah. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure. That's an, that's that's an interesting, a, a cool observation that uh, them being on the twos. I don't think I would have ever noticed. I, um, yeah, I don't know if I would have noticed that. But there was super minimal. Um, if we're talking about sort of the RP traditional RPG elements, right? <laughs> so you get the one broom. There are three <laughs> upgrades for it. <laughs> one makes it wider. One makes it longer. And I guess one I didn't get to swapper. it. But yeah. the swapper I never got to. And there's no armor. There's you no get shoes. Oh, the yeah, you no, got the jump shoes. shoes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's, I was there's no other to give gear. Me the bicycle there's no stats. There's no like all of the things that often are draws for an RPG, right? To kind of advance your, yeah. you know, you get you get the health improvements. But it's it's I, I still found the loop pretty satisfying. Like I said though, for me it was uneven. Mm -hmm. So there were places where I was totally into it, and then there were other places where it felt like I was just kind of being, yeah. you know, like there were way too many obstacles to the next chest to get my next. Card card thirty seven. Especially because yeah, you have to get all of them to be able to. You have to find every single and and it, it's that as a mechanic is interesting to me because I was initially playing the game as oh these are just collectibles because they even talk about them that way like the sage he's like mm -hmm. oh these don't do anything they're just like he'll specifically tell you that like oh they're whatever, um, but you know being the type of game player I am I'm like if I see two paths and I think that's where I'm supposed to go I'm gonna go the other way is fine the collectible and the cool thing doesn't matter if it doesn't do anything for me so i was like by the time i realized that i needed them i had gotten all but like three of the cards in the game already nice and so and i feel like that the the way that they talk about it and the way that that it ends up being part of the narrative is purposely playing off of that instinct for gamers right and it's making that like the that is the game is like actually going out and exploring and finding every single path. Mm -hmm. So that is another thing that is very much related to Link's Awakening. In Link's Awakening, there's a whole trading system. So like you find, I forget what the first thing you find is, but basically like it's it's like you find a knickknack, and then as you traverse the world, you talk to another person, and they're like, "Oh, I've been looking for that knickknack." Is this going to be another soundbite of the, with Have, the banana? And, and the then, crocodile? yeah, th th that's the <laughs> yeah. game. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> and so then eventually, like, yeah, you get some bananas, and you're like, "I don't know what to do." And then you meet a hungry crocodile, and he's like, "I want those bananas." And so you give it to him, and then he gives you like something else, and it, it, it's a chain of just yeah. getting stuff to give to other people, and it seems like it's completely not important. Except at some point, yeah, it yeah. becomes the most important thing and your progress stalls. And so if you were ignoring all those collectibles, you have to go back and revisit all these right. seemingly unimportant That, that is infuriating to me. I think we I talked about say. that with the Norwood yeah. Suite, right? Because yeah. that's essentially what Norwood Suite is, is mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was better for me in the Norwood Suite, but in games like this, it's uh, just the... 
the up, down, left, right about it just is infuriating. And it's, it was also playing off of the like games like this having mini games because as soon mm-hmm. as they were cards, I was like, oh, this is like Tetramaster in Final Fantasy IX. I've got to get all the cards so I can play the mini games sure. so I can get the other secret weapon or whatever. Get yourself some so Gwent. I, yeah, good Gwent cards. <laughs> Don't even talk to me about Gwent. um so there's lots of little stuff that it's definitely trying to get you to think about them that way even if they're explicitly like they don't do anything you're just getting them because you're supposed to get them yeah and i guess it made me think too about and you know i'm often sort of like uh i have been known to say that i think the sort of old school minimal minimal hand holding is like you know righteous but it made me think as i played this about games like you know skyrim and i mean sort of contemporary uh assassin's creed odyssey is probably the most recent example that's like your landscape is littered with things that help you remember a what you're supposed to be doing b where the next thing you need to go to get is who needs it and then like all of these sort of node-based links that are essentially like if you even for a moment forget what's happening, we'll give you 40 pieces of data that will, you know. And and I think part of me kind of wanted just a tiny bit more of that. Um, and again, maybe it's just because I've gotten so used to it. Um, so, and so the thing, like I, I ended up having to look up how to get the jump shoes because mm-hmm. I was just like, I know I'm supposed to be able to jump, but I can't figure there's out. There's two ways to get them, isn't there? I because do how okay. did you get? Them? I got them by trading the box to the guy yeah. who had the store, who then gave me some old sneakers who yeah. I, that were for so, bicycling. Oh, that's yeah. not how I got them. And no, then the no, bicycling sneakers go to yeah. the bicycle woman, and then she gives you the jump sneak shoes. So she just gave them to me. Yep, she just gave. Them I to think me. if you probably if you get to that scene without having done that, yeah, she's like you she know, just gives shoes. them to you. Maybe anyway. maybe yeah. she just liked them better than she liked you. <laughs> yeah, that could be it. Yeah, I had no idea about the whole box yeah. trading wow. thing. I just got to the cliffs, and she was like, "Have some free shoes." Okay, well, see, I couldn't figure out how to get to the yeah. cliffs because I couldn't yeah. find uh, the jungle because I didn't see the little two sprites. <laughs> and so I was like wandering the lake for hours and I'm like, there must be something else. I've been to the beach. I, I can't get anywhere else. I didn't know how to ride the dust boat. And so I was <laughs> like, there must I, be I applaud you for sticking with it. <laughs> and finally, I was when like, I closed the laptop. How do you freaking get the shoes? And then I went online and they were like, you have to go talk to the cat and then make the cat follow you. And there was more cat stuff. And. You had to clean the, did you clean the guy's house? Goldman? Yeah. No, I learned about that, but I did not get there. It was the last card that I got. Was card 47. <laughs> for, for the amount of, like, uh, not temples, but for the amount of, like, dungeons that you're in, like, a Zelda game would have a new item for every dungeon. That and would have, like, make a, a new puzzle. New, that would have a new, yeah, a new ability for you right. to do. And you would use that on on your journey to the next dungeon, and the next dungeon would also reference those things. You'd have to eventually use all those abilities. But this game has so few different stuff to yeah. do. But there's also, but it still keeps the variety pretty well. Sure. Yeah. It's a shorter game, I'm guessing, too. Much shorter. Yeah, this one's, I guess, maybe like six or eight hours. And Link's Awakening is quite a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so if we multiply it out by the eight times you beat it, 
<laughs> Something like 500 hours. Um, I don't know, maybe, yeah. I probably played it slightly less than every Pokemon game I've played. <laughs> uh, now, I will say, for those of you who, like me, suffer from various types of VR-based motion sickness, um, I actually had to also take breaks with this game because of the screen slides. Mm -hmm. um, uh, unlike Adventure, the classic Atari game from 1977, um, where the whole screen gets replaced when you move. Um, well, you guys know there's a you get the slide effect, and it actually it actually messed with me, not as nearly as much as other games that I've experienced. But I I literally was like, wait a second, what is happening? And I was like, oh god. <laughs> It's the slide. And then blah. Yeah. And then I threw up on the laptop. Um, but uh but I guess that's a that's a, again a kind of traditional mode for all of those. Yep. I do remember that from the old the old Zelda games. Yeah, I like didn't slide. even notice it changing. It just like made logical sense to me. I yeah. guess I just used to it. Yeah. I will say it wasn't as pronounced based on what I remember as like the old like Super Metroid. Where that was like a very deliberate yeah. thing. Like there was an animation, then the segment yeah. of the map like shifted over, and there was sort of like a lot of momentum to that that, mm -hmm. that fit there. Yeah. But I didn't really notice it in this one. Like well, I was to be fair, it happened to I the first time that it really hit me was because there's several places where there's a, a seam mm -hmm. in a in a position where you constantly are getting thrown back oh, and forth. Yeah. There was one or two spots like there's that. Like a, yeah. There's one place where there's like water against land, and I was like walking, and I kept accidentally stepping in the water, and so the screen was like oh, no. going like this. And then some of the rooms, and there are dungeons where like you've got to jump, and where you the, have to stand and the board, right yeah, and the it. border yes. like yeah, and you have to jump back quickly, and then you jump too far, Wait, and then you so is that the a design flaw or is that? A challenge. I th I think they could have put like a like a half second cooldown on that, and it would have fixed some of that yeah. jitteriness. Yeah, because like I would sometimes get like hit by an enemy like right as I walk into right room, out, and then push and then the back. whole room oh, resets, yeah. which reset. is also yeah frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I think yeah, I don't think it would have had to have been long, like half a second before you can sort of go back yeah. through that portion of the map. Yeah. Or even if you help. have to leave that tile and come back to that mm, tile yes. before it'll let you back through. Although I did learn a cheat. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So apparently, uh, I was able, I think, to do it once. Apparently, if you hold down, like, get on a border like that, you can actually tweak your way over a solid tile um, <laughs> by just essentially, like, fanning yourself back and forth <laughs> across and then hitting, like, left or right. It'll yeah. push you onto a solid tile that's right on the seam. And I was able to do it once, and I was like, Perfect. sweet. And <laughs> use that running stress. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Um, it was worth the nausea. <laughs> so I sort of uh, inched my way closer to this idea through this discussion. Um, I don't think that the game, similar to what I said earlier, in, in verbiage, I guess, but the game doesn't want to be a classic like RPG adventure game. I think that's like dressing for the narrative that it wants to tell. So I yeah. think it's like actually a very narrative heavy game about someone for whom that style of game is like important to their identity. Uh, so that's, you know, might explain the lack of like tools that you can find if you're expecting like a Zelda-esque mm -hmm. game or 
uh, you know, challenging bosses or, or that kind of thing. Right. Um, because each of the regions is so heavily themed around a particular element of this person's identity or something in their lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely think, and I have a couple theories about, and partially it's based on my own opinions playing the game, partially based on some, like, reading and other people talking about it. Uh, like, I have some theories about, like, exactly what's going on. Because the narrative in this game is not straightforward at all. Like, not really. Like, yeah, you're going to protect the briar, but you don't know what it is. It's unclear whether or not this place is real or whether it's some right. sort of dream world. Um, but I think it's a giant metaphor for things that this per young person is going through, right? His, his name is literally Young, right? Alan, did, um, did you all get to the black and white town? No. No? Uh, so the, there's this one area in this game that makes it probably the most clear that this game is literally just like a biography. Because um, you get to this place called the Black and White Town, and the first thing there is a sign. If you read that sign, it tells you about the story of Youngtown. And Youngtown is the place that was made by this boy named Ying, who didn't want to be Ying, he wanted to be young. Um, and it goes on and on and on. And, um, and a lot of the bosses have voice like, lines. The about first stuff. boss is like, are you still playing that Nintendo? Uh -huh. Um, yeah. And it's just like somebody with like an old face and yeah. like hands that are trying to crush right. you. What are you still doing here? What are you like? Yeah. yeah. And, and there's so many, there's a lot of recurring imagery of like social insecurity, like social anxiety and mm -hmm. insecurity and stuff like that. There's a very negative view of like birth. In the, yeah, and the just existence flesh in realm general. or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, so yeah, I feel like what it is is it's um, from what I can gather, it seems like it's a story about somebody who doesn't want to grow up, yeah. who really relies on these on video games to sort of like it almost as escapism, but yeah. also as just a way to disconnect from themselves from stuff going on. Because also in the second half of the game, it transitions more to being directly about like change stuff like. The you're in a hotel, which is this weird, scary place that like somewhere you've never been before. There's the 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 black and white town followed by this apartment building that you've never been before, and there's everything is packed up, and it's like everything's moving and changing, and it's this weird suburban area that you know you don't understand. Mm. And then there's the circus, which is like this crazy performative act, and like all of these really really bizarre stuff going on. So, um, but it's interesting to me that it doesn't. It's like everything in this game is just a giant, hard to parse metaphor about what feels like something very specific to, right. to I guess, the creator, like the, the lead writer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one really interesting thing about it. Like the more I played it, the more I felt like I was like exploring like just somebody's experience in this really abstract way. Yeah. Um, and just because of that, I really like this game a lot. Um, especially the the ending, it's unclear whether or not you end up growing up, yeah. you know, accepting that you have to, you know, that you have to, you know, be your own person. Um, it's sort of ambiguous because you, you defeat the briar and then it turns out the briar is your friend and is trying to help you. And I think the, the briar teaches you how to swim, which is sort of a funny <laughs> little scene because you're like drowning. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? And they teach you how to swim. And that's the ending of the game is now you can swim. <laughs> so it's definitely, it, but it's a really obvious symbol of like learning and nice. growing and um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and if you go into the game looking at it that way, it starts to make a lot of sense. Right. But if you don't and you ign like ignore and don't really try and piece it together, it's 
just really strange, bizarre. I I felt like I was what I felt like I was missing. It was strange and bizarre to me because I felt like I was missing a lot of references that you needed to have played a lifetime of Zelda type games to have gotten. Um, but maybe I was wrong. I don't think so. Okay, because <laughs> I think mind. it's somebody yeah. else's lifetime of something. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But I thought it was specific to a bunch of games that I hadn't played before, and that's why I was missing the reference. I have a serious question: Is that real or happened? Like, did it just happen to be that way? What is what real? The like any any of the things that you read into the story. It, I don't know. So I yeah. I found like some evidence. Like I didn't I didn't look too deeply into like you know what the author said about it. But he was essentially just like, yeah, this is a game I made in school about some stuff I was thinking about at the time. That's it. That's all. You know. That's that's all it is. Um. So maybe I'm reading way too much into it. Maybe it's just this thing sounded like a cool thing I wanted to make, yeah. so I made it. Um. And I mean, to me, it struck me as. And this is both like interesting for the game and something that kept me from being able to engage with it fully. Is it if if it is a metaphor, it's very inconsistent, and it's not not an overarching uh, system of like thematically consistent scenes. It's each level feels like a different sort of random anxiety or topic, because um, like in the uh, the meat hell level. Um, it's lots of uh, if you talk to like the the rocks and stuff that are in the realm, like anxiety over like birth and the pain that that was, and so like an implied like uh, maybe the character's mother died during childbirth mm-hmm. or or something like that. But then you go to this totally other uh, section, and I forget which which one has the the giant walk, walking eyeball. I think it's the hotel. That's the yeah. hotel. As the boss, which is like a manager figure. It's called so the it's, manager. Yeah. yeah, and so like there's anxiety about like work. Yeah. Um, or having a job. Right. Uh, so to me, it it's these vague metaphors about this individual's life, fictional or real, um, but that makes it hard to engage with because I can understand what they're getting at for each one, but mm-hmm. I can't form sort of a broad connection with, with the character yeah. and the story. And that's, I guess that kind of gets back to, so there was an unevenness to the narrative that, that, because I actually, my favorite moment in the narrative was the, again, I just really like the hotel. So the woman who's standing on the, I think it was a woman who's standing on the top of the hotel and talks about the city. You mm-hmm. guys remember that character? And you look out over the city together and then, again, I think it's a she. She talks about the lights of the city and how there's fewer of them than stars, but they're still really meaningful to her. I think that was at the top of the apartment building, right? Because there's one of that was it. What did it end up being a boss fight? No. Because then I don't remember what you're okay. talking about at all. No, unless I, I remember unless I'm wrong and I really like the apartment building and not I, the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you didn't do the black and white town, you did not do. The okay. Well, yeah. then it was the top of the hotel. Yeah. And huh. and she it was for me the most um, satisfying and actually I thought most well crafted dialogue of the entire of at least the entire parts I played, um, and it felt internally coherent so i could have taken it out of context and just set it down as some lovely kind of narrative lines and i thought this is i want the whole all of the narrative to be like this um and and it was so different actually from so many of the other things which felt um 
like they just felt more consistent with the kind of thing you find in a video game, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, somebody's like saying capitalized letters and there's, you know, that kind of um, anyway. But that that one character for me was an anchor point that I will remember probably for the rest of my gaming life. Um, wow. And so it's nice That's to have cool. a little moment like that um, that you're not expecting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost all of the like um, the actual quality of like the game, the enjoyable experience of the game was all in little side conversations, like all the mo- like the all of my theories about like what it actually is and everything at all. All of it comes from stuff that you do not get unless you seek it out which is really interesting. If you read every single rock and every single sign, talk to every single person, talk to them multiple times, actually, because yeah. a lot of characters will have lots of stuff to say, um, then you can't really get the full picture. And I really, in the end, I feel like it's not, its goal isn't to be coherent. It didn't feel like it was trying to be like an overall narrative. It was like, I'm going to say this with the first thing that pops into my mind. And if you get it, great. If not, Hope you had fun. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's sort of what, the, that's sort of what I felt about right. the whole game in general is that it wasn't like it didn't really care if you got it. Right. You know? It's hard, though, right? To com- I mean, so if you compare it to something like Undertale, right, mm-hmm. which has some yeah. similarities in terms of its style, um, but also feels like a, a lot more similar, yeah. just the uh, I guess the best way to put it is it felt like for me, Undertale felt like a lot more attention was paid to the kind of internal coherence of the. Even though it's Undertale is quirky and weird and a lot of different things happen that initially you might not think they're connected, but yet when you get to the end of it, you're like, wow, there's a through line here that feels really satisfying. That's, I guess, it's hard. It's like what we were talking about Fantastic Mr. Fox, right? Once you've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, you can't watch Isle of Dogs and mm-hmm. not be like, it's not Fantastic Mr. Fox. I feel that way, I guess, about games that are trying to do that kind of semi-autobiographical thing mm-hmm. is that I'm now comparing them to that, to, um, that's the name got out of my head. Did you guys know the game? It's got a single female name title and it's like a post-apocalyptic game where you, you're trying to save a baby. Greece? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, what is it? What, what remains of being Are thinking of the park? <laughs> no, it's a single female name is the title. Um, it's not Lydia, because that's a different one. Um, and it's not I, Celeste. Lisa? Lisa. Have you guys, anybody played Lisa? Mm-hmm. Nope. Okay, so Lisa's another game like this. Really strange. It's a. It's actually a side-scrolling platformer about, yeah, a baby who gets kidnapped by post-apocalyptic monster creatures. And your whole job is to save her. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a fascinating game. Um, pretty traumatic, actually. It's got violence and rape and all kinds of... It's a hard game to play. But um, anyway, so the, there are games that I think do a really good job of that. And so then it's hard for me not to not to compare them is, I guess, the really long way I'm yeah. going to say that. Yeah, I um, I liked uh, one of the things that I liked about this game. Because actually there's a lot that I like about this game uh, was that it it made me question because a lot. So that's the other thing that I didn't mention. The last time that I beat Link's Awakening was in like eighth grade. So it was a long time ago. But I played, but it was such a big part of that time of my life. And this game made me sort of look back on that and what, not, I guess, yeah, like question what I actually liked about the game because this was so different. And at first I did sort of feel um, cheated that the monsters weren't harder <laughs> to beat. Um, and I, and I, I do still feel frustrated that the environmental puzzles are so hard. Um, but 
looking back on Link's Awakening and probably all of the other uh, uh, top-down adventure games that I played around the same time, uh, I actually probably, like, why didn't they do more of this in there? Like, that was sort of a missed opportunity back then. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on. Um, so, yeah, I would have liked some of that. I would have liked this developer to maybe spend a little bit of more time and make some of those parts less frustrating or at least ease me into, like, the idea of having to jump diagonally and stuff like that. Um, but that was that was great. And, and for a game that is so faithful to that era of gaming, it was cool to see that done. It was yeah. like a new thing, which... You know that you think of that era as being like completely explored, but like no, here's some cool stuff that yeah. we didn't get to do back then. But um, the narr- like the narrative, what I remember about Link's Awakening was that it was uh, that you know the, it was an island populated with like my friends is the way that I thought about it again because I played it uh, so much. But there was there's a lot of that in this game too. Like there's a lot of charm yeah. in the characters, and I didn't realize like. They don't actually say a whole lot in this game. Right. And they never said a whole lot in Link's Awakening either. Um, so they, they did a really great job capturing that part of it as well. But the narrative wasn't there. So like in Link's Awakening, when you do something different and you come back, the town is different. Like it felt like these people like had lives and you could really affect the world. And that's because you were like you, you were causing changes in this world and this sort of missed some of that, I guess. I didn't get to the part that you got to, but that sounds like a really great moment that I, I kind of would have liked yeah. to get to. And it, apparently it's a very missable moment, too, because I don't recall, remember yeah. it at all. Yeah. Uh, or Joe just dreamed that and well, <laughs> none that never inserted well, it. Because the, the hotel We is... started a family together. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> we had three kids. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because it sounded very similar to the dialogue by one of the bosses. Oh, Because okay. the boss on top of the apartment building is like, look at all these stars... Aren't they oh. little fires in the sky or something? And then they're like, don't start throwing fireballs at you or something. Oh, so okay. um, so it's, it sounds like it's, nice. it might be some sort of yeah. like parallel. Two mirrors somewhere. thing, yeah. Um, so early on, there's that cat that follows you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meow. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there another part Try later safe, on yeah. that where someone else follows you around? Nope. I don't think so. Does he ever follow you again to do something Nope. Different. There's that one thing where you can get into Goldman's house, and yeah. that's what he's for. Okay, so that was a time where... Scares the fish. I got really excited, because there was another adventure game called, I think Final Fantasy Adventure, or it might have been Final Fantasy Legends, I don't remember. But in that game, periodically, you would get a character that would follow you around. Similar to the the way Meow does, like... Sort like you could tell they applied an AI to how he follows you around, but it's not it's not like the best ever. But in that game, all the different characters that you would find that would follow you around would just randomly do attacks at things. And they were always helpful. You always wish that they would aim better or that they would but they were never got in your way or anything. And I think about that experience playing that game every time I play a video game nowadays where someone follows you around. And how often they get in your way, <laughs> or or like blow themselves up. Yeah, yeah. There's like there there's always some way that they like yeah. sabotage you almost. Yeah. But in that game, I remember like why Resident Evil Five. Oh my god. Yeah, but like in what? Final Fantasy Adventures, number of times Lydia died in Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> but Stop in, fighting. In Final Fantasy Adventures, like they were never at least from what I remember, yeah. they were never a hindrance. They were only cool. Now someone follows me around and casts fireball. 
I don't have to think about yeah. that. And occasionally they might hit something. Cool. That's great. <laughs> but at least they're not getting in your way yep. when you're trying to enter something. And it, it's weird that that only because, you know, we had the Patreon poll. That is a thing that like almost feels like a step backwards sometimes. Like in that game, it was purely a positive, And now it feels like you get in your way. And so I was excited when I saw him yeah. and I was like, okay, cool. I wonder if he's going to like do a scratch attack or something. <laughs> that didn't happen. But yeah. yeah. In there, fact, as soon as you get too far away, he's like, I don't know yeah. about this. Yeah, 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 that's right. Like, he, he runs home. away yeah. from danger. Yeah. So it's interesting, too, yeah. that now that you mentioned that, I'm trying to think about other reasons. Because, again, I did, there were several things I did like about this experience. And, and like I said, I from the opening screen, because I don't actually really super enjoy pixel art. So I, oh, yeah. so I was like, oh, gosh, damn pole. But, <laughs> but then I was like, oh, okay, things are happening. This is, but what I also realized is there, um, so there are some really strong comparisons that you could make to games like um, like a little bit to Stardew Valley and a little bit to a game called Tanglewood. Um, Tangle Deep, the name. Tangle yeah, Deep so. or Tanglewood, which I played for a few hours a month or two ago, um, which does everything that's sort of hinted at in this game, but with like three more layers of what you're talking about, right? So there's like companion monsters. You can raise the monsters and breed them and oh, create wow. stronger companion monsters who come with you into the Tanglewood and, and nice. then they fight things for you and they have their own special attacks. And I know what Robbie's so, doing with yeah, you. Yeah, that's like my, my face is lighting up. I just, if every word Joe just said, yeah, yeah. Robbie like sat up a little bit. Uh -huh. I think it's Tangle Deep. Tangle Deep, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and Tangle Deep, and it's got all of that charm but it's also just really polished and yeah. it's really, and it's got level upon level, like there's like 4,000 levels of dungeon, you know, and you just keep going further and further down. Um, so it's sort of Diablo-like. I know that's not the game we're talking about this week, but but so again, it's like, I think my brain just then places it in relation and it's yeah. like, it's, um, and because I don't have the nostalgia, right? Because I was, I was like Brad, not, not playing those games right. in the yeah. 90s. <laughs> we were. Oh, so I don't, I don't really like to compare games like that, especially because of the circumstances in which they're made, the purposes for which yeah. they're made, the sorts of things that they're trying to do. This game isn't trying to do be like an amazing innovator of the genre or anything. It's just trying to like convey these emotions and, and no, yeah, totally. You know, I think I just mean that my I can't help but do it. Oh uh, yeah, so it's, I, it, it's it not that I'm sort of going. Oh, I have to. I'm, it's yeah. It just I mean, it, it is impossible, right? Because I mean, you have all these other games that you played. Yeah. And as designers, we're always like, "What did this do? What did that do?" Because um, I mean, you're right about the Undertale comparison too. Because a lot of the tone of this game, it feels like like it's comical and lighthearted, but with a layer of like the sinister underneath mm -hmm. that you can't quite place until yeah. you get to the black and white town yeah. and then it's everywhere. And the uncanny. Um, yeah, yeah. There's just something unsettling about it, but it's also yeah. playful and it's all like the things. zombie people, right? So yeah, the, the roaming zombies in the, um, they're just unsettling. Yeah. And they, they kind of, of get in your way, but you can mm -hmm. push them off the cliff to get them out of the way. But that, there's no indication of what that means. Uh -huh. so, so that that dungeon was one of the ones that made me have to sit down and be like, this is a metaphor for something. And the best thing I come up with is just like crippling social anxiety, especially because that's the level that's capped off with the with the weird, annoying the like uncle at the house guy. party yeah. that's like, you're Nintenders, or you still playing them video yeah. games? Like, you know, like the fact that that's all like, that's how they cap off that yeah. experience and that these things just get in your way and you can't tell what they're saying and you feel yeah. comfortable around them. 
I feel like that that's all part of like it's it's all trying to evoke different weird visceral feelings like all mm-hmm. the dungeons are, and that's one thing I feel like this game did really really well stuff like the the red dungeon making you feel like gross and disgusting and angry yeah. and even stuff like the eight bit dungeon which was a really annoying one I don't know if you guys did the eight bit dungeon you go into one section of the game and it turns into like really lo fi like hard to look at because it's got like a four color palette and it's all bright <laughs> RGB colors. Um, and it's really long level that you basically walk in a straight line that goes back and forth it's and back and forth. It's a linear maze. Yeah. It's a linear maze and it's just like, oh my God, what? where am I? What am I doing? And 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 again, I feel that's definitely intentional that you're supposed to feel that like, where is this going? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like every single dungeon puts so much thought into how is this going to make the player feel that I feel like that's one of the coolest things that this game does. Right. Right. So, um, I think, I think you're right that maybe he's not necessarily trying to innovate in the space, but I still think he did a very good job. And I think that, or they did a really good job. It was a team. Um, but I think it's, it's very clear that they really like the genre and they played a lot and the biggest standout is because um those final fantasy adventures and legends games and to some extent some other games like in the same you know hack and slash walk around kind of genre i felt were mostly devoid of charm like i played them because i was a kid and i needed something (laughs) to do and this had a sword and a shield and let me kill monsters but link's awakening was probably the only game in that genre that I felt like really had emotional impact. And it was really weird. Like Link's Awakening's a very melancholy game, like from the beginning, like you meet characters, you literally become friends, but you know, from the beginning, they're not real and they're going away. If you do your job, they disappear. And that is in your brain the entire time. It makes a, like it, it makes you have a, before you walk into that final dungeon and you know what that means, like this owl that's been mentoring you the whole time tells you, well, this is it. Uh, you know, you're going to your everything you've been doing leads up to this. And uh, when you're done, I'll be gone. And so will everybody else. And and then when you win, like it does like a whole pan over the village and like everybody you met. And then like they go away. It's it's like the final scene in, in uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> spoilers. Yeah. Oh, right. so, so spoilers for movies. Sorry. <laughs> Like, you just see these beloved people go away. And that's, like, one of the first times, like, a video game made me feel an emotion. Mm-hmm. And this very much has that from the very beginning. It seems like an innocuous adventure game, but that soundtrack kicks in and you're, like, there's, mm-hmm. like, you're, I'm immediately, like, on edge. And I'm, like, there, there's something sinister going on. And that moment s- sticks with you through the rest of of the game. Like, it feels like there there's more going on. Um than just appears. Right. So I, I think he did that. And so I liked it. And again, it was, it was hard. But now hearing everything that I've heard here, I want to explore it a little bit more uh, because it definitely sounds like it's top top five in the genre. How about that? For me, probably top two. But, wow. Yeah. In particular, that, that notion of, of apprehension about moving forward ties into uh, the fact that the sage character who puts you on this quest to begin with, he's like, you need to go out into the world and collect uh, 
all these cards and gain experience so oh, that you can. Interesting, because he yeah. doesn't even tell you that. He's just like, go get stronger in the the Before evil. Before you gardens. can fight the yeah. 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 But the first time you find a card, he's like, these are these are a representation of your experience. So. Um, gain as many of these as you can uh, before you go to fight the briar. Uh, but at the very end, you try to go in. He's like, no, no, I meant you need 95 <laughs> cards. <laughs> You're not ready for this. Don't go forward. Yeah. You can't do it. And he tries to stop you the entire way there, even though he's the one who put you on this quest anyway. He encourages you, but then as you get close, he's like tries to find ways to make it take longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's yeah. sort of drew on like a similar note for me. That yeah. uh, Which... Could tie back into the whole thing of like adulthood and that being a representation of yeah, somebody I mean, pulling you back, being like, "Don't, don't grow up. Like, yeah. stay here with me." And yeah. stay you know, young like Peter Pan, oh, like Peter Pan. I, I, the, I had a really genuine emotional reaction in this game with that that character that you see in one, of, like, just before the first temple or maybe after it, who's like huddled up. And mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. like really upset and crying. Like I, yeah. I really wanted to be like, is there a comfort button? Like what? Like can I help this person somehow? Yeah. Um, and with, they did such a good job with that, with just like the the sprite of that character. Like you see him and you're like, oh, that's someone that needs help. Suffering. And then he says maybe three things, not words, but you know he has only three different dialogues that yeah. he says. But it's well written. Like there's a lot of good writing in this game. One one more thing. Uh, so so this is getting off of Anodyne, and it focuses a little bit on Anodyne 2, which is coming Ooh, out yes soon. Yes, it is. I saw. Uh, I, I was about to say a moment ago, wouldn't it have, been, wouldn't it have sucked at, if you got to that last part and you had 42 cards, and he says, no, you need 95 cards, and they're in Anodyne 2. Here's a code to get a discount on the game. Right. <laughs> and then game over. Uh-huh. But this, this ties back to what Robbie touched on a little bit earlier, and that's the, the notion of this being a game firmly rooted in, like, the early 90s, like, SNES, probably NES, like, era. Um, but Anodyne 2 features 3D levels. Um, there's like a mix of 2D and 3D. And so there's a couple things in that that interest me, right? Like there's the, the notion of growth. So if you're playing as young again, there's, there's this element of progression even between the games in, in the way the world's presented. Uh, but also the idea of making a series of games that artificially progress through like console generations, like technology, uh, is something that's really interesting. Evo Land. Evo Land. Yeah. Yeah. Evo Land. So it's I it's gotten mixed. I haven't played it even though I own it. It's one of those things that've been on my list for a really long time. Yeah. But I know that that's the gimmick, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you start out with like eight bit Atari thing, and then eventually you like level up, and then it levels up like the graphics or whatever, and it and it goes all the like it's still top down the whole time, I think, but it goes up to like uh, some of the not quite but close to some of the newer like Pokemon games. But the like taking into like account the, like the stuff we've theory crafted sort of about the narrative it's really interesting to see where the second game might go yep. in terms of what love letters is it going to write to the early like 3d platformer mm-hmm. games you okay. know like what's it going to do there i'm interested to see that personally yep so. speaking of all the theory crafting that has gone on with the narrative what what do you with Olivia? With me, it's, me. it's just me. Well, I mean, what what it's do just, you make? Let's be honest. What do you make of all of that in relation to the title of the game, 
anodyne, which is, you know, a harmless. pain reliever. Yeah. Or harm, right? Harmless. Like or or as an adjective, totally something, inoffensive. something that is inoffensive. I don't, I mean, I, I really don't know. The only thing I can think of is that it's saying that maybe games are harmless. I don't know. It's a stretch, but so I, I just... I don't think so. I think uh, you were onto something earlier with the, the idea of games is like um uh, why can't i think of the word but like uh an escape that is the word an analgesic yeah. yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know I, th I think there's something to be said there is like this notion of of not wanting to grow up or deal with the, the stressors in your life yeah um you just wrote a scene like that a couple days ago i did yeah wow for that uh, <laughs> i didn't even know that for that project we're working on <laughs> <laughs> what do you know yeah but yeah, I don't know. I think I think you could tie it together there. But so I interpret just based on what you're saying. I almost feel like maybe the title of their studio or their development team or whatever, Analgesic Games. Given how personal the game is, I wonder if that's more in reference to them. If their they, yeah, their process of making the game was sort of a, a pain reliever for for them to put kind of put all this down into writing and into a shareable thing for everybody. Possibly. Yeah. I could see it being a very cathartic game to make. Yeah. Um, just sort of unpacking all of those things. If it was sort of a, a person's real experience or, you know, inspired by it seems to be at least, at least what they're thinking about. Um, also, interestingly, the subtitle of the sequel is called Return to Dust. Which with the whole I the broom, the, the, the broom, broom yeah. and the... what about those psychotic maids? The maids that were so that mad. was one of my favorite enemy types. Me too. They, <laughs> they sleep until you touch the dust. Until you then, do their job for them, like a Philip Pullman novel. They wake up when the dust is disturbed. Yeah. I think it's more like when a when a kid walks through the dust, you've just swept oh. up, and it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. what do you do? You're right. I didn't think yeah. of it that way, but that's awesome. Yeah. Uh. Um, well, neat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Dust. Wow. All right. Do we want to do final thoughts? Are we ready for final thoughts? Anything else? Anything else from Brad, our platformer expert on this? Uh, yeah. um, I'm the wrong person to, <laughs> to ask for anything else. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seemed fun. I don't really have a whole lot. I will say one last thing. Okay. Um, so um, this is just one last point, <laughs> and then I will give my final. <laughs> um, so as you guys know, I've been playing around with the idea of a, a kind of Atari-like satire about you know alcoholism, and so it's interesting to sort of see played out someone taking a very specific type of technology, right? This sort of very specific genre that fits only that kind of console. Um, and it got me, I will say that it definitely got me thinking about that model, right? Which is to take a, a, a specific kind of game that fits a very specific time period and then do a kind of memoir based, mm -hmm. um, or, or again, a satire that, that reflects that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that was another, I just wanted to add that, yeah, that, that yeah. It, it, it made, it allowed me to reflect on that, um, and the value that, that, that can offer. Um, I think, um, I mean, interestingly, and again, just this last point, the, 
I guess a little, what I wanted a tiny bit more of out of this game was um, the mechanics to also reflect. So, and again, that's, it's about that kind of feeling of unevenness Mm -hmm. that um, like you could weave interesting mechanics that are also tied to the the kind of metaphoric and narrative points, um, which is, is, I think another way to explore that same that games can do that other right. that other forms can't right i mean so that's the one thing we have that we can really call our own which is to say i'm going to give you mechanics that are quirky and peculiar and unusual and 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 they're going to reflect somehow the the metaphor or the narrative point or the anyway sure. that's that's my last that those were my final thoughts that's it i'm done are you sure? I liked it. I guess I liked a bunch of things about it. I guess my final thoughts would be that I really enjoy it for I enjoy it for the reasons why but it is both the same and different from Link's Awakening. Um I there's a lot about it that I wish was different. Uh especially the narrative. I I, I just wish that it was I mean I get that they don't want they don't really, I guess, care to help people understand it, but I wish they did, I guess. Um, but, you know, aside from that, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was cool. And it, it maybe you're right. Maybe the those spikes in difficulty, that does seem like that would tie very strongly to the point they're trying to make. It's just, for me, when I encounter something like that, it's sort of like, okay, well... Uh, I have a, a life to get back to, so. <laughs> so, um, but again, that if if all of this metaphorical stuff is true, then maybe it works pretty strongly because that's a way that a lot of people would react towards someone who who has these sort of anxieties. Like, okay, well, I've I've tried to you know be here and and sit through you telling me about your anxieties, um, but uh, it's your anxieties are still there. And I still have a life to get back to. <laughs> right. So I'm going to go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Find your own cards because so, I don't have time. <laughs> so, and, and so just thinking through that just now yeah. makes me feel like, one, it makes me feel bad for not finishing the game. And, uh, but it also motivates me to, to want to experience some of these other things in it through that lens. Because um, that's exciting. Thanks. So I'll throw some final thoughts in based on that. I wish that I would have had the experience that that kind of drew me into it the way that it did with you, Robbie, um, because I, I I wanted to connect to it. I wanted to uh, be able to get into these little points in the story, and I wanted to find out what all these little things that were confusing to me, all the little references that it seemed to be making, but they didn't seem to be going anywhere. And I, I, I thought... So, so I felt like through the whole, uh, as far as I played, uh, three hours or so, that it, I was, I was just not getting, uh, that I was missing so much because I didn't have that prior experience, um, and maybe I should go back in and play it without that filter and see what I can make of it. So there, there's a lot um, that didn't land for me in the game. Uh, but I still really enjoyed it, and I think they did a lot of of interesting things. And I'm excited to follow Anodyne Two. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential there for them to sort of stretch their wings a little bit more. Um, there's a there's a good chance I would enjoy that game a lot more than I did Anodyne One. Uh, 
but overall, um, it was still fun. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, interestingly, I, I had these weird lulls when I was playing the game of being like, why am I playing this? Um, and like, what do I do? And I had to sometimes look it up and I had to do all these other different things. But for some reason, and maybe this is just the annoying English major in me, but the <laughs> the weird opaqueness of the narrative is what kept me going. Like I kept trying to like find that little thing that would make me go, oh, that's what this is about. And now all this stuff all makes sense. Um, and I feel like I kind of got there, but not quite. But uh, there's something that just kept me wanting more of it and wanting to just keep digging it digging and finding little details and putting them all together. Um, so, and even though the, to me, the puzzles were really satisfying that moment of ha, I did it. There's usually just enough time of me trying to figure it out ratio of trying to figure it out to figuring it out that it just, it, that kept me going too. And the world was really pretty and enjoyable and I really liked it. So there's a lot of things that kept me going. I do feel like it's not a game for everyone. Um, if you're not a big fan of Zelda like games and, or if, weird artsy narratives aren't your style this is probably not the game for you but it's definitely a game that i really enjoyed and i'll probably keep thinking about it for a while after now so those are my very long closing thoughts nice good ones <laughs> you should definitely talk to the woman on top of the hotel <laughs> i want to i'm gonna go just to do that i'm gonna use my my block swapper yeah, to do you it can. too it's gonna be awesome if you get there and it's <laughs> it's being totally mistaken. Oh yeah. What's it talking about? <laughs> All right, <laughs> it's an anodyne oh, too. I totally hope so. <laughs> I was in a movie I was watching at two a.m. <laughs> while you were playing anodyne. <laughs> I was multitasking. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Robbie, what are we playing next? So for next month, if you want to follow along with us, you can pick up Ape Escape Two. Escape 2. By Ubisoft and Sony Computer Entertainment. Originally released for the PlayStation 2, but it was recently re-released for, uh, on the PlayStation Network. You can pick it up there and play this classic platformer. Nice. All right. Any other news about the Patreon that you want to throw in? You want to re-mention what you said earlier? Sure, yeah. Well, don't forget to... Uh, patronize us on Patreon. <laughs> I see what you Is did there. Is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what you really think right. <laughs> uh, by subscribing to our Patreon because it really helps us do these podcasts and we really appreciate your support. If you subscribe for $2 or more, you can get access to the exclusive polls, which let you help decide the direction of our podcast. Uh, this month we had one that, that which is why we talked about classic games so much, like Link's Awakening. Um, next month you can actually help pick which game we're going to be playing for people May. Uh, and we already talked about that a little bit, but we're either going to be playing Wander Song or Old Man's Journey. You decide. So both we're really look excited. wonderful. Yeah, they both look awesome. I couldn't so. pick, so I need your help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also if you want to subscribe for $5 or more, you can access our exclusive blooper reels and hear our ridiculous outtakes. Yes, which got us temporarily adult listed on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. But, thankfully... <laughs> And then we put our clothes them. back on and everything was fine. And everything was fine. So <laughs> Four so of us did. Definitely <laughs> least, uh, at least check out our Patreon. You can also get access to our episodes one week early. So there's all kinds of really good stuff on there. And, and oh, oh, go ahead, you. Okay. As a reminder, <laughs> our season finale this season is a long form game. So if you haven't gotten started yet, you can pick up God of War, PlayStation 4, um, and play through that. Uh, we're trying out playing 
a much longer game to talk about at the end of uh, the season. So, so that will be in try. June. Yes. And as always with our podcast for the Game of the Month Club, if you played along, if you played Anno, let me try this again. If you played Anodyne along with us this past month, please comment either on our website or on our Facebook page at Little Rock Games. Um, we would love to hear what you thought about this game. And or tell us how we were right. Tell us how we were wrong. You can also join our Discord channel. Discord um, channel. We got so many things you can do. So many options for you guys to yell at us and tell us how wrong. You can just come to our house, knock on our door. door. When no. we open it up, you can just yell at us how <laughs> wrong it, you are. It is also possible for you to contact us and just tell us what a great job we're doing. Yes, that <laughs> if you want it. But only by phone. Robbie's address <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> we only want text messages. Direct positive comments to me and everyone else will take the negative <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, I'm going to close us up. Thank you guys all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.